Welcome and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. There are so many things going on in the world today. As we experience life, we need to choose how to handle, how to react to these experiences. How do we, as Christians, deal with the world around us? Here's First Pres Associate Pastor Tim Shaw with a sermon on second thoughts. Hi, I'm Tim Shaw. I'm one of the pastors here at First Pres. I was born and raised in California, and for my entire life, I never lived outside the state of California until I moved to Hawaii seven years ago. I have traveled all over the world as a pastor for local and international mission. I love the work that I get to do. I am never more happy and excited about what God has called me to do than when I'm leading a group of people to discover the incredible world God has created. I love to explore cultural differences. I'm fascinated by the amazing diversity of God's world. There is an exquisite beauty to that diversity, and I feel easily at home in communities all around the world. Today I want to talk with you about something I've learned about myself, and I think about life itself. To learn this lesson, I've had to take some risks, and along the way I've made some big mistakes and some small mistakes. Here's what I've discovered. Sometimes my second thoughts are better than my first thoughts. Let me say that again. Sometimes my second thoughts about a situation, sometimes my second thoughts about an issue are way better than my first thoughts about that situation or issue. Let me illustrate this from my own life. When I was invited by Pastor Dan and the Associate Pastor Nominating Committee to join the staff of our church, my first thought was, I don't know whether that's a good idea. Just being honest and transparent here. I'd been to Hawaii a number of times. I'd always loved the time I'd spent here. It's a beautiful, peaceful place. But seven or eight years ago, I wasn't, it wasn't a part of the dream I had for the next chapter of my life. I am a high Sierra, Rocky Mountain kind of guy. I love water that's frozen. So I was hoping to be called from Northern California to Colorado or Washington State. That was my dream. I love those places. I have lots of friends who live in those states. It had never occurred to me to move to Hawaii. Well, as as I was wrestling with this decision, one of my sisters was here with me in Hawaii. My sister Debbie is a marriage and family therapist. She's a person who's trained to listen compassionately and patiently and thoughtfully to people who are working through difficult questions in their lives. I remember talking with her one afternoon as we drove near Sandy's. It was a beautiful afternoon. I shared with Debbie that I had some questions about whether Hawaii was the right place for me. I was expecting her to ask me some probing questions about my thinking. I thought she might try to draw me out, listen carefully to me. I thought she might ask me, tell me more about that, Tim. As we made a left turn uh, in front of Sandy's and headed towards Waimanalo, her Master's of Divinity and her Marriage and Family Therapy Master's from Fuller Seminary kicked in. And from the passenger seat of my rental car, she started yelling at me. Are you out of your mind? Would you look outside this car right now and tell me what you see? Look at the beauty of the ocean. Look at those mountains. Look at the people you've met. They're amazing. Look at the way that they've welcomed you. I'm not really sure which counseling course she learned that technique in, but the next thing she said to me was this. You're insane if you turn this job down. 
you could end up in the middle of nowhere. She actually named a state, but I'm not going to name it, so I don't offend anyone. You could end up in the middle of some crazy town in a, in a healthy church, and it will be a nightmare. You're nuts if you say no to this opportunity. Well, that was my counseling appointment with my youngest sister. After considering her advice, I came to the conclusion that, in this case, my first thoughts about coming to Hawaii were the wrong thoughts. Because second thoughts are sometimes better than first thoughts. My second thoughts about coming to Hawaii ended up being my best thoughts. Because I discovered, with a little help from a therapist, that my second thoughts were actually God's thoughts. The Apostle Peter has his own experience discovering that sometimes his second thoughts were way better than his first thoughts. I love Peter. And I'm so grateful to God that God gave us a book, the Bible, that is not a propaganda document. The Bible just records what happened. There is no attempt to whitewash the facts. The Bible records for us a very transparent picture of Peter's life. He was a man who had the propensity to act impulsively, at least sometimes. Peter had a number of great moments of faith, times when he acted boldly on his first thoughts, and things went well for him. For example, in Matthew chapter 4, we read about the time when Peter was called by Jesus and his brother Andrew to follow him. The text says, at once, these two fishermen left their nets and followed Jesus. Their first thought was to say yes to Jesus. That was a smart decision. And then one day, during a storm on the Sea of Galilee, Peter sees Jesus walking across the waves and shouts out to him, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. So Jesus calls out to Pete, yep, it's me. Come on in, the water's fine. Without giving it another thought, Peter climbed out of the boat and started walking on the water and came towards Jesus. The decision to walk on water was a good first thought. In this case, it was his second thought about walking on water that caused him trouble. His second thought went something like this. As the water splashed against his heels, Pete had a thought. What am I doing out here? And that did him in. His second thought sent Peter for a swim. Sometimes our first thoughts can be our best thoughts, but sometimes they're not. One day Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on a mountaintop, and suddenly Jesus was transfigured right before their eyes. And if that were not enough, Moses and Elijah showed up, and Pete's first thought was, hey, let's build three houses for you. He just blurts it out, the very first thing that comes to his mind. He doesn't really know what he's saying. He's so caught up in the emotions of the moment. He just reacts and says the very first thing that occurs to him. What Pete and his buddies will discover is that tiny homes wasn't what Jesus had in mind. One day when Jesus took his disciples on a little retreat, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter, without missing a beat, immediately said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's a good first thought. But within a few verses of this amazing confession, we find Pete rebuking Jesus when Jesus starts talking about his death. Jesus turns to Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. 
What a difference a few verses can make. Peter should have held his tongue, maybe asked a few more questions, listened more intently to what Jesus was saying. He probably should have worked harder to better understand Jesus' mission in the world before reacting and saying something he would later regret. Finally, the fact that sometimes second thoughts are better than first thoughts is highlighted in Peter's heartbreaking denial of Jesus. In Matthew 26, verse 33, Peter says, Even if all the other disciples fall away on account of you, I never will. That's Peter's first thought. He reacts. But by verse 75 of Matthew 26, Peter has disowned Jesus three times and goes out into the night and weeps bitterly. There's a big difference between responding and reacting. When we react, we just fire off our opinions, usually without much thought. I think there are a lot of us who are in reaction mode right now. When we just react, we show that we're not really interested in truly understanding what is going on. To react is to simply push away something we don't want to deal with. To respond requires a willingness to listen and understand. To respond may require lamenting that the situation or a relationship I'm in or a community I'm a part of is actually broken. Lamenting can put us in a posture where we are open to listen to others and feel the pain they are experiencing. In today's text from Acts 15, we're going to read about Peter's second thoughts on an incredibly important mission-critical issue facing the early church. And that question was, how can the Gentiles be a part of the Christian community? Can Jews and Gentiles be a part of one great community called the Church of Jesus Christ? In this message, I want to take us on a journey with the Apostle Peter as he stumbles toward a fuller understanding and embrace of God's kingdom and God's vision of a multiracial, multicultural community of women, men, and children, both young and old. We're going to see that Peter's second thoughts on this question were better than his first thoughts. Peter's route to his best thoughts was anything but direct. His journey to what he says here in Acts 15, his journey into the heart of God, included failure, giving into peer pressure, succumbing to anxiety and fear. But thankfully, by the grace of God, Peter's journey also included episodes of risky obedience to the Spirit's leading. Peter stumbled into the heart of God as he considered whether his first thoughts were God's thoughts. Let's listen to this text that captures Peter's second thoughts, his better thoughts on the inclusion of Jews and Gentiles in one great community. Here are my two sisters, Debbie Webster and Cindy Frazier, who will read Acts 15, verses 1 to 11. Acts 15. Certain individuals came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, 
they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So to say thank you to Cindy and Debbie, I'm so grateful for you that you are willing to read that for us, and I'm so thankful to God that you are my sisters, so thank you. Here are some of the mile markers along Peter's journey, from his first thoughts to his second thoughts, about the inclusion of all people in God's kingdom. Let's back up Peter's story to Acts chapter 10. God is working on Peter's theology and his heart. In chapter 10, God expands Peter's understanding of God's heart and vision for the world. God shows Peter that there is room in his kingdom for both Jews and Gentiles, and Peter needs to make room in his own heart for others as well. In Acts chapter 10, we find Peter staying at the house of a tanner in the seaside town of Joppa. The fact that Peter is hanging out with a tanner is a big hint that something has already begun to shift in Peter's thinking. To be in the home of a tanner means that Peter was staying near the carcasses of dead animals. Peter grew up believing that if he was near a dead animal, it would make him unclean. But here's Pete in this seaside community in the house of a tanner. Something's going on in Peter's life. Then one day, while praying on the roof of the house in Joppa, Peter has a dream. And in his dream, he has a vision of animals, some clean and unclean, descending from heaven in a sheet. And as they descended, a voice says to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And in the dream, Peter reacts to the vision. No way, I'm not going to do that. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. But the voice says to Peter, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. That dream happened two more times. God was at work changing Peter's heart. So how does Peter's experience apply to us? No one has ever given a better answer than the one Alexander White gave to his congregation at Free St. George's Church in Edinburgh, Scotland. He says Peter's experience is our experience for how we also bundle up whole nations of men and women and throw them into that same unclean sheet. Whole churches that we know nothing about, but their bad names that we have given them are in our sheet of excommunication also. All the other denominations of Christians in our land are common and unclean to us. Every party outside our own party in the political state also. We have no language contemptuous enough wherewith to describe their wicked ways and their self-seeking schemes. 
They are four-footed beasts and creeping things. Indeed, they are very men alive, and especially those who live near us, who are not sometimes in the sheet of our scorn, unless it is one here or one there of our own family or school or party. And they also come under our scorn and our contempt the moment they have a mind of their own and interests of their own and affections and ambitions of their own. So let me ask us this question. What is in the sheet that God might be luring before you and me right now? Is there something, someone, some group that's in that sheet that we're saying no to? It can be a very helpful exercise for each of us to make a list of the things in the sheet being lured by God before our own eyes. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the dream, suddenly a group of men knocked on the door of the house looking for Peter. The Lord spoke to Peter and told him to don't be afraid to go at these guys because God himself had sent them. Together they went to the home of Cornelius, a Roman centurion, a military man, a Gentile who wanted to hear more about the gospel. God had heard Cornelius' prayers. He was not yet a follower of Jesus, but God heard his prayers. So Peter goes to Cornelius' house, and as he's telling Cornelius and his family about the gospel, the Holy Spirit falls on them, and they all began to speak in other languages. And Peter is shocked. God has given the Gentiles the same gift God had given him and his fellow Jews on the day of Pentecost. Peter welcomes the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the Gentiles at this point in his story. Peter is moving forward towards God's vision of the kingdom of God. But in Galatians chapter 2, Peter stumbles and backtracks. He gives in to the pressure exerted by leaders who come from Jerusalem. These leaders were teaching the people in Antioch, both Jews and Gentiles, that faith in Christ was not enough. They taught them that the Gentiles must be circumcised if they want to be saved. And the Apostle Paul, who was with Peter in Antioch, confronts Peter publicly. Peter had been eating with the Gentile believers until the leaders from Jerusalem showed up. Peter then separated himself from the Gentile believers, and Paul calls out the error of this theology and Peter's hypocrisy. Paul knew that everything was at stake in that moment. Paul does not mince words when challenging Peter, the senior leader of the Christian movement at that time. He calls out Peter's racism. Paul took a page out of my sister's playbook. Pete, you've lost your mind. The main difference between what Paul did and what my sister did is that my sister confronted me privately. Paul confronts Peter in front of everyone because it was so important. Listen to Tim Keller talk about this scene in Antioch. Keller writes, Peter was falling back into racist habits. But you don't see Paul going to him and saying, hey, Peter, you're breaking rule number 18 in the Bible against racism. He could have because there's a lot in the Bible against racism. But he doesn't go that way because he doesn't treat truth that way. What does he say? Paul says, Peter, you're not walking in line with the truth of the gospel. You're not thinking out the implications of the gospel. You're saved by grace. You're not saved by your pedigree. 
You're a sinner saved by grace. How can you feel superior to anyone else? Paul tells Peter that his biggest problem is he has not been set free sufficiently by the gospel of Jesus Christ. He tells Peter that he's still a slave because he's afraid of what the people from Jerusalem will think of him. What Peter has forgotten, or maybe not really fully understood, is that in Christ he is absolutely loved by God. His value to the creator of the universe is unmeasurable. Here's what Paul is saying to Peter. If you really understood the gospel, you shouldn't be afraid of anything. You wouldn't be a slave to anything. Not a slave to anxiety, a slave to being afraid of criticism, a slave to racial prejudice. You wouldn't be a slave to anything. You should be absolutely free, Peter. Paul took off the gloves in that confrontation with Peter. And Acts 15 makes it clear that Peter went away from that confrontation and rethinks his first thoughts about who is included in God's kingdom. In Acts 15, the text that my sisters read, when Paul and his companions from Antioch go up to Jerusalem to try and settle this very issue once and for all about who is included and how they are included, it's Peter who stands up and affirms the full inclusion of the Gentiles without being circumcised. Peter has changed his mind and put it all on the line in this meeting with the leaders in Jerusalem. He has thrown in his lot on the side of the gospel of Jesus Christ and God's message of grace. Here, once again, is what Peter said as recorded in Acts 15, verses 7 to 11. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. He's referring to his visit to Cornelius' home. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? That is a remarkable confession that Peter makes there. It's a breathtaking statement, actually. The people of Israel are never able to earn their salvation by keeping the law. Peter says, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. Peter's second thoughts were better than his first thoughts. Peter's route to his best thoughts was anything but direct. His journey into the heart of God included failure, giving into peer pressure, succumbing to anxiety and fear. And thankfully, by the grace of God, Peter's journey included episodes of risky obedience to the Spirit's leading. Peter stumbled his way into the heart of God. So let's think about our own journey into a fuller understanding and embrace of God's vision for his kingdom. What began to transform Peter's heart was his willingness to listen to others and to listen to God. God is calling us to be makers of shalom in a fractured world. And in my experience, to be a maker of peace 
one must be willing to really listen, seek to understand, and empathize with the experience of others, especially when that experience is different from our own. Mrs. Ward was one of my favorite high school teachers. In her senior year, she taught algebra to teenagers like me. She was very good at it. She could be quite stern in the classroom, but I always sensed that she really cared about us and our growth. One day when I was eager to either ask a question or make a comment, she said to me, Mr. Shaw, she always called us by our last names, Mr. Shaw, please put your hand down. You can't hear me. She knew that if I kept my hand in the air, I would miss all the really important things she was saying. She knew that if I was so busy formulating my question or my response, I was not really listening to what she was trying to teach me. She knew that my best chance to learn something would only be if I really concentrated on what she was saying. There would be time for questions and comments from me, but now was the time to listen and learn. I believe with all my heart that this is a moment when many of us need to fight off the temptation to react to what's happening in our country and say, well, yes, but in an attempt to try and explain away or minimize what people are trying to get us to understand. It's way past time to listen carefully to the black community and to listen with our hearts. I think it is so important that we are willing to acknowledge the racial injustice that has been a part of our great nation's history, as well as the prejudice that is still very much alive in our communities. Only by truly listening to those who are crying out in deep pain will we be able to join them and begin to work for real healing, reconciliation, and change. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to attend a webinar sponsored by ECO, the denomination that our church is a part of. And during that webinar, David Bailey, a black leader in our denomination, observed that whenever we have conversations about race, class, and culture, it is inevitable that all of us are going to experience some complicated emotions, including fear, grief, anger, and shame. As we go deeper into these very important discussions, as we work to really understand what others are saying, I want to encourage us to be aware of what we're feeling. Let's ask ourselves, why am I feeling afraid? What is triggering a deep sense of sadness in me? Why am I angry? What feelings of shame am I experiencing? Why am I resistant to listening? Why am I having such a difficult time just sitting for a while and taking in what others have experienced? Why am I so eager to respond with, yes, but? If we are followers of Jesus, it is critical that we be able to have these important discussions and be makers of shalom. Shalom is a very rich Hebrew word that includes the ending of hostilities. But it means so much more than that. To be a maker of shalom is to be a person who seeks the welfare, the wholeness, the completeness, the prosperity, and tranquility of others. To be a maker of shalom, we must be concerned with making things right, which is the work of justice. And the work of justice and righteousness begins with listening, with the goal of understanding and empathizing. Jesus, the one who is our peace, 
is looking for people who want to join him in his mission of justice, righteousness, and shalom. I believe this calling from Christ is one we must engage if we want to truly be children of God. Jesus himself said, blessed are the makers of shalom, for they will be called children of God. Mr. Shaw, please put your hand down. You can't hear me. Mrs. Ward was right about that. This is a time to listen. This is a time to reflect on our first thoughts about the great questions that are being asked in our nation today. Could it be that our first thoughts are not our best thoughts? Could it be that our first thoughts are not God's thoughts? Could it be that our second thoughts just might be best? Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we are so grateful that you are a God that we can come to and that you listen to us. You already know what we're going to say. You already know how things are going to work out, and yet you listen to us. And we're so grateful that, that your heart wants to listen to our hearts, that your mind wants to listen to our thoughts. So God, make us people who are willing to listen to others as well. Listen until they tell us that we have understood. And God, maybe there are people here today who are thinking about their relationship with you for the very first time and want to make a commitment to Jesus Christ to be his disciples. And if that's you, I just want to pray with you a very simple prayer of sorry, thank you, and please. Lord, we just want to say we're sorry for our sins. Sorry for the ways that we have wandered away from you. Sorry for the ways that we have chosen to live our lives apart from you. Forgive us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for what Jesus did for us on the cross, that he died for our sins and that we might be set free and fully forgiven. And God, would you please send your Holy Spirit and fill every person who has prayed that prayer with your very own presence as they begin a, an amazing journey with you. In Jesus' name we pray. If you prayed to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the first time, we'd love to help you get started on your journey with Christ. Just click on the button that says raise hand in the chat area, and you'll learn how to begin your life as a disciple of Christ. If you'd like to pray with someone right now, just click on the live prayer button, and a member of our prayer team or staff will be waiting to pray with you. There is indeed no one like you, God. We will build our lives on the firm foundation of your love. Before I share a closing blessing with you, I want to invite you to join a digital connect group immediately after the service. There's a link in the chat area that will take you directly to a connect group where you can meet with others face-to-face -face on Zoom. You'll be able to talk story with a small group, share your thoughts about the worship service, and to pray for one another. If you'd like to pray with a member of our prayer team or one of our staff members, please just click on the live prayer button. People are available to you right now. And now receive this blessing. Now to him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his presence with exceedingly great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory and honor 
both now and forevermore. Amen. Have a great week. Put your hand down, Mr. Shaw. We can be far more effective when dealing with others if we put our hands down and listened, really listened to those around us. That would bring us one step closer to peace in our world. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Pres website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Normally, we meet Sundays at our Ko'olau campus or at the Vine in Kaka'ako. But for now, you can find the entire church service streamed online on the church website, fpchawaii.org. For our virtual church service, click the online church box at our regular church service times, Sunday morning at 8, 9.30, and 11.11, and Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m. Be sure to check your email for links to sermons, church news and updates, daily devotionals, and details on our reopening. If you have any questions or needs, please reach out to the church through the website or just call 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prayers, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2020 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.